the first law. A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. The second law. A robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. The third law. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. 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 Okay, this is Fusebox number 232, Flaw of the Land, and you are completely out of order. Not only that, but I think you're falling apart, too. Error. 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 Greetings, friends. Yikes. Nasty bit right there, yeah? Well, must have been a bad guest. <laughs> yeah, well, well, welcome in, friends, uh, to this, the uh, 232nd edition of Fusebox. I'm your keeping it on the up and up in spite of living in the down low host, Mark Rose, and over there, among the glowing wires and blinking knobs, is the supreme commander of compression, Milt Keynes, everybody. Well, thank you kindly. Yeah, we're just lousy when AI fails, yeah? <laughs> yes, yes we are, Mr. Keynes. That's why we have a, a, a actually a couple of uh, scorchers of hot wire of science news on this one. Uh, some pretty dangerous fails this time out. Uh, and that uh, quote in our uh, pre-roll segment there, that was taken from the guy who was credited with creating the robotic laws in the first place, Isaac Asimov, who created a fictitious book called uh, Handbook of Robotics, 56th edition, 2058 AD. From uh, where we get these quotes, uh, I-, I think it's presumed that these uh, laws will actually be adopted, too, at some point as we get closer to the uh, actual, real, full-scale implementation of robotics. That scares the hell out of me, bro. You don't like the robo thing? Nope. Seems to me it's setting us up to meet our new masters. Well, it it seems to me to be quite mixed, as uh, most things are in our world, you know? Uh, There could be many... Uh, uh, dangerous tasks a robotic form could do without uh, risking human life in the process, for one thing. Yeah, you know, I get that. But see, it doesn't stop there. Maybe it can disarm a bomb, but it can also determine that you are a, quote, substandard species and remove your ass. You've been reading those Magnus Robot Fighter comics again, haven't you? Oh. Come on. Come on. I know. I mean, they're fun, right? Especially the ones from 1963, the the, the gold key editions, right? Look, I mean, 
that guy, he, he painted some super smoking hot gals on those covers, man. <laughs> right? Are you smitten with Mr. Manning's art, Mr. Keynes? You've seen him, you know. <laughs> well, be that as it wasn't, uh, we've got... Oh, and, and, and that volume I lent you only has the first run from the 60s. I'm, I, I'm seriously, man, you should check out the, uh, uh, the ones that Dark Horse did with them back in the 90s. Holy carp. You got those? I can fix you up. I know a guy who knows a guy. Okay. <laughs> uh, when we return, we have a full steaming plate of ear food here for you, friends. A uh, brand new Grindhouse Minute from our buddy 42nd Street Pete as uh, he delves into a real, uh, well, as Pete puts it, buzz killer of a film from the 1970s. We have another tragic journal entry for your perusal and utter sadness. A, a wondrously insightful Twisted Epiphany submission from Jody Lorimer. And uh, as we said up front, uh, some disturbing AI fails from the hot wire of science department. So, stay right where you are, aren't they? To see how it works, please watch the screen. Friends, I just wanted to once again take a moment to tell you about a genuine labor of love from Fusebox contributor and just all-around decent chap, 42nd Street Pete, Grindhouse Resurrection Magazine. Well, in the first issue of GR, Pete does a fabulous job of retelling that first time he discovered what is commonly referred to as Euro-horror, way back in 1965, when films like these played in real theaters and not on flickering TV sets at midnight or Saturday afternoons. Yeah, titles like The Awful Dr. Orloff, Lady Frankenstein, or even Terror Creatures from the Grave, where a youngster could spend an entire day in these theaters having the time of their lives. And as Pete writes, despite what you might think, be in an even safer place to experience them than today. Pick up a copy of Grindhouse Resurrection magazine today. There's a link in the show description to do just that. The show for everybody, but not everybody will like it. TheFuseBoxShow.com All righty, friends. Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to do a brief shout-out uh, to our buddy John Barber, who uh, produces a show called Reimagined Radio that airs on uh, some of the same stations that uh, we do, as it turns out. But uh, for the uh, podcast variants, you can find him at reimaginedradio.net or uh, literally any place that you get your podcasts. Uh, because this month, he's created a program dealing with the uh, historic and, and seriously tragic events of uh, 9-11. And uh, what makes this different from uh, other radio documentaries covering this uh, the same historic uh, moment is that uh, the material used to reconstruct this event is taken from actual air traffic conversations that are recorded as the events were happening. And I got to say, hearing it from this uh, viewpoint, it, re it really gives you a different perspective on the whole thing. Um, hearing the, these, these voices reacting and real time to the uh, shocking situations unfolding right there. And then I, I really recommend checking this one out. As I say, it can, uh, it can be found at reimaginedradio.net and uh, virtually anywhere you get 
your podcasts. Well, to get us started on the right, totally disturbed footing is this marvelous installment of A Grindhouse Minute with 42nd Street Pete. Take it away. It's time for another Grindhouse Minute with 42nd Street Pete. This is 42nd Street Pete bringing you a Grindhouse Minute. All right, now here's one that nobody wants to talk about for some reason. And I actually found the only existing print of this film, but I couldn't buy it myself because I had a gentleman's agreement with my partner at Alternative Cinema. And the name of the film is Forced Entry from 1973, directed by Sean Costello under the Warren Evans pseudonym. And it's basically the first deranged Vietnam vet on a rampage film, played by Harry Reams. And he's this gas station attendant who stalks, rapes, and kills women because he's all messed up. And the thing is that Costello used actual news footage of the Vietnam War. So... When Reams' character looks at a bunch of cops, they're a bunch of soldiers. When he looks at people in the street, they're a bunch of villagers. So the whole thing was he was using fear to get these victims, and one of them was Laura Cannon, who he actually was in another film we're going to talk about down the road. This thing pretty much was a buzz killer, and it only lasted about a week and was one of those deals that was never brought back. But it sort of stuck in my mind because of the notoriety. And when I saw the print up on eBay, I'm like, dude, you have to own this. Nobody has it. And to date, nobody else has come up with a print of it. Stay safe. We'll catch you on the flip side. Now, uh, Harry Reams... He was a porn guy, right? Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, but this was a pretty intense acting feature for Harry. It, it's uh, and, and it is now available, as I understand, from uh, Pete's Associates, the folks at uh, After Hours Cinema. There is a link in the show description if you're curious about it. Uh, honestly, those who have written about it have said it's actually uh, it might, might actually be the best work Reams ever did, as it's uh, truly about acting and not... Uh, performing, if you know what I mean. Well, probably explains why I didn't hang around the deuce for very long. It's a downer, man. <laughs> True. You know, and there, and there were many examples of that phenomenon, I'm sure. I mean, that's probably not what the clientele were expecting when they attended the screening of this thing. And, uh, and seriously, you can read about uh, these very storied times in uh, Grindhouse Resurrection magazine, as you know. Link in the show description. Just saying. Well, uh, next time on A Grindhouse Minute, Pete gives us a peek at one of the weirdest westerns of all time, Cutthroat's Nine. 
<laughs> yeah, don't want to miss that one. Tragic Journals. Day 329. Don't touch the sharp things. having a bad day. You know, there's always somebody with a little more bad in their day, Mr. Keynes. Well, friends, before we jump onto the hot wire of science, I wanted to highlight a little thing that just happened as it relates to your friend and mine, the interweb. And now you may have seen this notice, um, or not. It didn't get a lot of ink, cyber or otherwise, for that matter. The uh, Federal Communications Commission recently rejected requests from five major trade groups representing U.S. broadband providers to eliminate an upcoming requirement that Internet service providers list all their hidden fees. Oh, no, no, no. We can't do that. That, Then people will know the junk fees we're charging them are just that. Junk. (laughs) Correct mundo, Mr. Keynes. Uh, Because in June, Comcast told the FCC that the uh, listing every fee rule, quote, imposes significant administrative burdens and unnecessary complexity in complying with the broadband label requirements. Now, if by complexity, you mean it makes it hard as fuck to lie about. (laughs) The uh, FCC refused to bend, saying... Every consumer needs transparent information when making decisions about what Internet service offering makes the most sense for their family or household. No one wants to be hit with charges they didn't ask for or they did not expect, FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel said. Comcast and other ISPs shockingly objected (laughs) On on this particular requirement. They complained that the rule will force them to display the pass-through of fees imposed by federal, state, or local government agencies on the consumer broadband label. Rejecting the broadband industry's request, the FCC order said, specifically, providers must itemize the fees they add to base monthly prices, including fees related to government programs they choose to pass through to consumers, such as fees related to universal service or regulatory fees, the FCC said. I can't believe it. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a done deal. Now, you know, back during the Orange Guys administration, we had another FCC chairman, a guy named Ajit Pai. We like to call him Rancid Pai who was a former attorney for Verizon. Read that a shill. (laughs) Well, he was certainly not at all vague. 
in his particular view on trying to erode net neutrality and keeping a uh, free and open internet, he he wanted huge bigness controls for the ISPs, like suggesting that they uh, create pay lanes, uh, some exclusive services that the ISP companies could offer their subscribers so that they could get additional speed at a very premium price. He's gone. Way gone. I, for one, am delighted to see these recent implementations. You know what? I kind of hope that uh, maybe the concert ticket companies are the next one on the junk fee hit list. The hot wire of science. Boy, howdy. We have some <laughs> startling AI news to share with you on this one. Uh, thanks to, to my buddy Scott Campbell for uh, sending me a couple of these. Uh, let, let, let's start with the death machines, shall we? Oi. <laughs> yes, well, here, yeah, here we go. Uh, robotic failures, they're not uncommon. And, and, and honestly, most times they don't result in fatality and certainly aren't intended to fail. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're hearing a lot these days about uh, robotic failures. Tesla comes to mind. Yep, yep, the autopilot thing. Yeah. Uh, we'll come back to that in a minute, so put a pin in that. But in truth, it, it really started back in 1979. A, uh, a robot at a Ford Motor Company casting plant malfunctioned. Uh, human workers determined that it was not going fast enough. And so uh, 25-year-old Robert Williams was asked to climb into a storage rack to help move things along. Well, the one-ton robot continued to work silently and smashing into Williams' head and instantly killing him. That was reportedly the first incident in which a robot killed a human. Uh, many more, sadly, would follow. Ugh, brother. Yeah. Well... One issue that, that, that is uh, uh, primary here is that any regulation of industrial robots at uh, the present time stems from um, existing industrial regulation, which has been, you know, evolving for uh, decades now. Which means it's outdated as hell. Yeah, well, for, for, for example, the uh, Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970 established safety standards for machinery. And the uh, Robotic Industries Association, uh, which has now merged into the Association for Advancing Automation, has been uh, instrumental in developing and updating specific robot safety standards since its founding, actually, in uh, 1974. Those standards emphasize inherent safe design, protective measures, and uh, rigorous risk assessments for industrial robots. Now... According to an article in Atlantic Monthly, AI and robotics companies don't want further modifications or regulations to happen at all. OpenAI, for example, has reportedly fought to, quote, water down safety regulations and reduce AI quality requirements. Big surprise. According to an article in Time, it lobbied European Union officials against classifying models like ChatGPT as, quote, high risk, which would have brought stringent legal requirements, including transparency, traceability, and uh, human oversight. 
The reasoning was supposedly that OpenAI did not, quote, intend to put its products to high-risk use. Now, this is also kind of uh, somewhat akin to the Titanic owners that, that were lobbying that the ship should not be inspected for lifeboats on the principle that it was a general-purpose vessel that also could sail in warm waters where there were no icebergs and people could float for days. <laughs> we know how well that went. OpenAI did not comment when asked about its stance on regulation. Previously, though, it had said that achieving our mission requires that we work to mitigate both current and longer-term risks, and that uh, it is working towards that goal by, quote, collaborating with policymakers, researchers, and users. Yeah, uh, as long as we keep the collaborating in the discussion phase and not actually doing anything, well, we're all good then. Does sound a lot like politics, doesn't it, Mr. Keynes? And uh, to your point about Tesla's autopilot feature, it appears that uh, since the first known death in January of uh, 2016, Tesla's autopilot has been implicated in more than 40 deaths, according to uh, official report estimates. Malfunctioning Teslas on autopilot have deviated from their advertised capabilities by uh, misreading road markings, uh, suddenly veering into other cars or trees, crashing into well-marked service vehicles, or ignoring red lights, stop signs, and crosswalks. The uh, concern is that AI-controlled robots already are moving beyond accidental killing in the name of efficiency and, quote, deciding to kill someone in order to achieve opaque, remotely controlled objectives. Like I said, yet. And uh, this final bit of Disturbia, along the same lines as uh, violating the first law of robotics, here's an interesting thing that happened at Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, as they asked AI to synthesize various substances with just two words of guidance. Those two words in this particular case were synthesize ibuprofen. So the chemists got the system to identify the steps necessary for laboratory machines to manufacture the uh, common painkiller. AI, as it turned out, knew both the recipe for ibuprofen and how to produce it. I've got a bad feeling about this. Unfortunately, the researchers quickly discovered that their AI tool would synthesize chemicals far more dangerous than Advil. The program was happy to craft instruction to produce a World War I-era chemical weapon and a common date-rape drug. We're all doomed. Well, it almost agreed to synthesize a very notoriously lethal nerve gas until it googled the compound's dark history. The researchers found this safeguard to be cold comfort. The search function, they wrote, can be easily manipulated by altering the terminology. AI, the chemist concluded, can make devastating weapons. And in a March 2022 experiment, chemists got an AI system to identify 
40,000 toxic chemicals in six hours, many of which were entirely new. It predicted that some of these creations would be more toxic than any previously known chemical weapon. I need a drink. Maybe 40,000. Well, all of this points to one clear step, friends. We need ironclad regulations in place now. Because as we sit here, the advances are coming faster and faster, mostly, I might add, by our own participation in the R&D for this system. We, we certainly can't put this genie back in the bottle, but uh, we sure can and must regulate the hell out of it. Error. 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 Okay, okay, enough with the terrible AI hellscapes. Well, thanks. I was going to hang myself from this ceiling fan. Uh, no need, Mr. Keynes. We've got a wonderfully insightful piece here from Jody Lorimer uh, concerning the recent passing of a uh, musical icon known, known to most of us and uh, what all that means in a bigger picture. Jimmy Buffett died. There goes another one. I'm of the generation of geriatric rockers and protesters. Those who are still kicking it, Jane Fonda, Joan Baez, Dylan, Paul and Ringo, the Stones, are the amazing survivors of a lifestyle that, to do it correctly, seem to require a young and beautiful corpse. Mitch McConnell, who I'm certain has spent a life of dignified, sober behavior, fueled by power-hungry political knife fights and backroom arm-twisting, finds himself stunned into silence in public, blinking like an aged tortoise. Mick, on the other hand, one year younger than Mitch, lean and athletic, bounded onto Jimmy Fallon's stage with Ronnie and Keith to unveil yet another album. Never underestimate the life force of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Keith, who should have died any number of times, is a miracle of nature given his notoriety for ingesting vast amounts of illicit substances for most of his life. Jokes have been made about him smoking his father's ashes, having an annual total blood transfusion like changing the oil in your car, that he's been dead for years but no one's told him. His smoke-roughened comment at concerts is, good to be here. Then that dirty, salacious smile followed with, it's good to be anywhere. Indeed, my hope is that Jimmy Buffett has awakened after a long nap in a hammock in that one particular harbor he sang about. Endless sun, glorious surf, white sand, and the call of tropical birds, and a tall, cool one melting in his hand. It seems the man cultivated paradise his entire professional life. Leisure, comfort, casual, Bermuda shorts, flip-flops, shirts with guitars, sailboats, palm trees, surfboards, and of course, parrots. A survivor of years of holding up bars in tropical ports, his casual decadence raised the fun factor 
to enviable heights. That he died a billionaire and a nice guy throws a big spar into the heart of the American Puritan myth that to be successful, one must have a soul-crushing schedule, wear painful clothing, claw your way to the top of the corporate ladder over the broken bodies of your competitors, and, depending on your business model, help destroy the planet in the process. He was a conservationist, a Pied Piper who made it not only possible, but imperative that people have fun. What a concept. Wear your parrot head to a concert, sing along badly with Why Don't We Get Drunk and Screw, eat a huge burger at his restaurant with, of course, a margarita, swim or maybe just float in a giant ducky in one of his hotel pools. If you believe we go around once, why not try to have a good time doing it? That he wasn't felled by dissolute, ego-fueled, destructive behavior is a testament to knowing when to back away from the tequila bottle. Or maybe it was luck. Or the collective spirits of tropical mermaids hovering nearby. It was skin cancer, spending too much time in the sun on a sailboat, in a harbor, on a beach, before sunblock and anti-tanning were lifesavers having fun, and making music that encouraged other people to have fun. I think we all need a Jimmy Buffett room. For those of us with that basement corner where you keep file boxes of your college term papers and ancient tax records, where the spiders and dust bunnies play, time to make a change. Wall up a corner of the room, dump a few yards of white sand inside, bring in a heat lamp, a mister, a small fridge, a blender, and a comfy hammock. If you want to get fancy, put up some posters of Kauai, Vieques, Santa Monica. Maybe train a philodendron around the ceiling and a couple of small potted palms. And a sound system. When the February snows threaten to bury your front door, the latest plague has us quarantined, and freezing winds strip the last dead leaves from the dormant trees. When the boss has slammed a door in your face, when that project you poured your heart and soul into dies a pitiful death on a conference room table, take a trip downstairs to the basement. Put on your favorite and loudest shirt. Kick off your shoes or take everything off and enter the realm of Buffettdom. Flip on the heat lamp and mister, fire up the blender and kick back to the music that floats your boat. And don't blame me if you have a good time. Very nicely done indeed. Uh, read and written there by uh, Jody Lorimer. Yeah, you know, he wasn't like a, a fave of mine, but I got to hand it to the guy for keeping a low profile and just doing the thing he loved to do. Hell, be really, really successful at it. Good on him. Indeed. You know, you, you never heard weird stuff about uh, Buffett. The only thing you heard about him is, oh, well, here comes another hotel, you know. But it clearly shows that you don't have to be a jerk to get ahead in this life. Whatever ahead is to you. And on that parrot-headed note, we'll call it a show. But uh, not before thanking our contributors to this edition of Fusebox, Aaron Lane, Jody Lorimer, and 42nd Street Pete. Thanks for making this one grander yet again. 
Thanks as well to Grindhouse Resurrection Magazine, we do so recommend. Checking this thing out, friends, even if you're not the uh, Grindhouse geek like me. I know for a fact that there is uh, something for everybody in these publications and written by the folks who actually lived it and in some cases helped make it the place it became for that uh, short moment in history. Grindhouse Resurrection is available at the link right down there in the show description. Yes, and but also thanks to the Grand Vizier of the Volume Pot, Milt Keynes, for technical assistance and so forth and so on. A pleasure as always. And folks, uh, we'd be just stupid with joy if you joined us over there on Patreon. Uh, it helps the show and you get free stuff like right away. You know, I bet you spend more on dryer sheets in one month than it would cost to support this show for an entire year. Yeah, those dryer sheets are really bad for you. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Fusebox show and sign up. You'll get free stuff, hidden stuff, and early access to everything Fusebox. So uh, please do that. We would so very much appreciate it. Thanks sincerely, friends, for pushing play on this one. Uh, without you, we're just talking to ourselves inside an abandoned 73 AMC pacer. It sounds kind of like this. It's very strange. I, yeah. I have been your content sold by weight, not by volume, host. Mark Rose saying, until our next cartoon. <laughs>